0: I'm Hannah Trump, and this is Hypocritical, a podcast from PowBox, where we discuss security, technology, and compliance news with healthcare industry leaders. Everything about healthcare feels complex. The technology, the compliance rules, the cybersecurity threats, every organization has to be on the constant defense to keep bad actors at bay. But how does an industry that relies on antiquated fax machines and complicated portal-based email encryption begin to tackle the real InfoSec issues the industry faces? To start, if your organization relies on the cloud, you should start assessing what assets you move over more often. And if you're not using the cloud, why not? Consumers are already using it in their everyday lives, so why wouldn't we wanna meet them where they are? Exploring these topics with me today is Hector Rodriguez. He has over 25 years of experience focused on security, compliance, and privacy. And Hector is currently the Principal Industry Specialist with AWS's Healthcare and Life Sciences. Hi, Hector. Thank you so much for joining me on Hypocritical today. I want to go ahead and jump right in. Can you explain, uh, in layman's terms, maybe uh, what an intrusion framework is, how it works, and why an organization should have one?
1: Sure. And the, the basic premise or structure of an intrusion framework is to illustrate the process and and the set of activities that attackers or intruders employ to intrude upon an organization. One of the things to know is that it also can be physically entering a building. Mm-hmm. Um, or digitally gaining access or a combination of both, which we do see in some sophisticated attacks where an intruder starts with a reconnaissance activity and that reconnaissance could be done digitally. They could also do it by going into someone's office and gathering data. One of the uh, traditional examples of an intrusion process is based on Lockheed Martin's research called the Kill Chain. Mm -hmm. Um, A more recent one was presented by the Cloud Security Alliance, and they just simply call it the ransomware attack stages.
0: Which is very helpful, I think, especially in today's age with ransomware is everywhere. Uh, I'd like to go back to um, the one that is based on the Lockheed Martin one. You sent me a really great reading and I read a lot about it. Does that classic framework really fit in with modern cybersecurity needs these days in 2021?
1: The thing about classic frameworks are that they are classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tend to be a little bit dated, which is fine. But like an old record, an old classic record that you listen to, you listen to it, you love it, you embrace it. And that's what we have to do with these classic intrusion analysis frameworks is learn from their core And the purpose, why they were designed, what they were meant to do. But then they need to be updated. They need Mm -hmm. to, we need to ensure that they embrace the cloud, that they embrace the hybrid cloud, because that's the way healthcare works, and that they embrace multi cloud architectures too. This isn't a single vendor industry. And unfortunately, even classic frameworks were developed. Sometimes with that single thought in mind, one of the things I'll say is the world works differently today and it will continue to do that in the future. And one of the challenges that we have in cybersecurity is that, again, those those frameworks, those solutions, they need to keep up with modern technology and the pace of change is mm-hmm. just uh, so dramatic, right? It's so accelerated. So start with the classic, but don't stay in the classic world.
0: Mm-hmm. How does the AWS framework differ from a classic one?
1: Well, the AWS approach, it's it's really more of an approach that is leveraging the learnings from the classic intrusion analysis frameworks, but then has been modified for a cloud approach. Mm-hmm. And it embraces those capabilities that I spoke about earlier. The, the, the fact that we are living in a modern world, we all live in the cloud. And then one of the things that I really appreciate about the framework and the work that was done there, it's combined with an updated set of what are called courses of actions. Mm-hmm. And courses of actions are activities that you would employ at each phase of of the intrusion process to to thwart the attacker or thwart that intruder, to really stop them in their tracks as early as possible. And that's the goal. The goal is to slow down, isolate, and remove or destroy the intruder earlier in the intrusion process in order to, to greatly reduce the impact.
0: Uh, when I was reading the... Uh- The file that you sent over to me, I noticed that there were a bunch more steps or preventative measures in the AWS framework than in the classic framework. Uh, I'd like to talk about the cloud a little bit because you've mentioned it a few times. Why do you think it is so hard for organizations to transition to the cloud, especially because it is, well, I think safer for healthcare organizations to keep their information there?
1: I think that it's funny. We make these big statements. The cloud is safer, on-premise safer. It all depends on what, what you read. And what people are writing that day and what's happened. Mm-hmm. The reality is that you, you, you do have to focus on what problem you're trying to solve. The thing about the cloud, and I've been in cloud computing for a long time now in my career, I started when when, when cloud really started to, uh, to take off, But we started with security, privacy, and compliance. We made Mm -hmm. sure that the cloud services that were being offered would enable an organization to meet or exceed their compliance requirements. And that's really critical. That is foundational. The other thing about cloud computing, though, what I love, particularly as a developer and and even as a solution architect and strategist, is I have the opportunity to fail fast. Mm -hmm. I can iterate through different attempts to solve a problem because I'm failing fast, it means I'm learning fast and I'm succeeding very much more quickly Mm -hmm. and at lower cost. And I've got this highly scalable, this highly agile uh, infrastructure. But the one thing I really want to stress with cloud computing and and the reason to move to this more modern world of cloud, A, first of all, we all live there already. All of us carry smartphones. We're all connected to the cloud. But think of the cloud as a fabric that enables an ecosystem of services and solutions to come together. And now you can work in your industry, you can work cross-industry, you can share data, you can share all these solutions, you can crowdsource. And it's just an accelerant to everything we do. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an it's a phenomenal opportunity. But I go back and I challenge everyone to make sure you know why you're doing what you do, what problem you're trying to solve, and how the cloud becomes part of your solution and not part of your problem. Mm-hmm.
0: So then for data security or technology employees that are looking to convince their management, someone at your level, to go to the cloud how would you suggest that they show these these positives that, hey, this can really help us, this will be better for us? Would that be by saying, "Hey, this is a problem and this is how the cloud can fix it? or what would that look like?
1: One of the things I love about this question is the use of the word. Am I trying to convince you?" And we went through that a lot when cloud first started. It was a we're going to convince you to go to the cloud. Mm-hmm. The reality is that healthcare and other industries don't have a cloud problem. They have other problems. In healthcare, we have the challenges, yes, of cybersecurity, of disaster recovery and disaster recovery strategies, of ransomware mitigation. But we also have the bigger problem of healthcare, which is how do we better serve our patients? How do we better serve the community? How do we make sure that we can develop new therapies uh, like the COVID vaccination as quickly as possible at lower cost. And this is where cloud computing comes in as an accelerant, as this highly supercharged platform with these capabilities, not just of technology, but of knowledge, of data. So when I look at this, when I'm speaking to an organization, I will always work backwards from what that organization is trying to do. What problem are they trying to solve? How quickly do they need to get there? What what types of resources do they have? And how can they leverage the work of others? How can they really... Get the best out of everything that's been put in front of them to get there. And sometimes the cloud isn't the answer. Now, we again, we do see, uh, I, I read something like 85% of most healthcare organizations are leveraging cloud in some way, shape, or form. And it's not just now for email, uh, it is for for mission-critical solutions. They're putting their electronic medical records in the cloud. They're putting their telehealth solutions in the cloud. But we will live in a hybrid world forever in healthcare because of bedside systems and things like that. But it goes back to what you said and what I'm saying is, make sure you know what problem you're trying to solve. Make sure you understand how the cloud really, really does help get you there. Mm -hmm. And then where you're going to go in the future, how you're going to scale, how you're going to be more agile.
0: You mentioned that... um... A lot of healthcare people are in some way, shape, or form using the cloud. How often should organizations do you think be assessing like, hey, we have 30% of this information in the cloud, but the 70% we have elsewhere. How often do you think organizations should be deciding when to move stuff over to the cloud when it is safer for them?
1: It really should be a, a process that's put in place for continuous innovation, continuous assessment, and really a drive towards what's called operational excellence. You know, Traditionally, we've done this the way we work. We set up our budgets once a year, we set up our project plans, and we reassess every six months or every 12 months. We've, we've got to break those old norms, those old work habits. And we've got to ask ourselves the questions you just asked on a more timely basis. I know every day is difficult, but every week, every month, how do we better improve? Because we as healthcare consumers, we're demanding more. Mm-hmm. We're using the apps. Even healthcare employees are bringing the apps through the doors with them on their smartphones. And that's what they're using And the reason they do that is because they realize it it is easier, it is more efficient and effective, but it's not secure, it's not compliant. And so we have to find that right balance. Uh, But the conversation can't be something that you do once a year and then put away and say, yes, these are the three projects we're going to work on and this is how we're going to do them. It's continuous improvement.
0: Yes, yeah, cybersecurity is continuous for sure, as are ransomware attacks, which brings me to my next question.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, Are there any ransomware attacks you've seen that have really caught your attention over the last year or even the last six months?
1: I think the the last year has been fraught with these ransomware attacks and healthcare, we read it all the time, is highly vulnerable. It is one of the most expensive uh, industries uh, when recovery is required from a ransomware attack. Attackers are smart also. They know that healthcare is vulnerable. They know that healthcare isn't, it's not their job. They're focused on providing care. But the recent attacks on, on both small and large hospital systems that have locked down the electronic medical record where clinicians have said to us, We can't get to the data. We we can't schedule appointments. We can't see our patients. So the delays in care and then the cost when you have to reschedule surgeries, the lost revenue to a hospital, all of that highly affects a hospital's ability, even a health plans or a life sciences organization's ability to do their best work. And then now what we're seeing are hospitals being sued. The Mm -hmm. recent story where an infant's life was in Alabama, lost. Yes. So that that one, I mean, just talking about it, um, uh, makes me nervous, or it it, it makes you emotional, and mm-hmm. that that is, I mean, it, it just resonates for me. It, it sticks in my head. But I people need to understand that this is not just a ransomware attack where we're paying a few hundred dollars or a few thousand or a few million. It is a patient safety issue. People's lives are at risk, and. People are dying. Mm-hmm.
0: Their lives are at risk. Their health is at risk. Yeah. Uh, hospitals are at risk because you know a giant ransomware attack. People, it's not people won't trust you anymore. It's it goes back to your reputation. Uh, how do y'all handle ransomware training or phishing training at AWS?
1: One of the things that I really appreciate about AWS and and, and being a, a cloud, a modern cloud organization and and provider of services is that. At AWS, we use the phrase, security is job zero. And that really means that security is our top priority. And while we say it's a shared responsibility between ourselves, our customers, and our partners, it also is everybody's responsibility. Yes. And it's your responsibility to understand how ransomware affects your role and then how it affects the other organizations or the other people you work with. There's a lot of talk about the human element to Mm -hmm. ransomware attacks. And and historically and unfortunately, it's always been very negative where we hear humans are your your biggest risk. And even in the recent uh, research, it says 85% of all ransomware attacks started with a human error. The reality is also that we as humans are our number one line of defense. But that defense has to be built up. That muscle has to be trained Mm -hmm. so that we understand what phishing attacks look like. We understand what um, all these these web or social engineering attacks look like and we start to avoid them. But also as individuals, we have to ask and challenge everybody who walks through our door. If it's a partner bringing in a solution, if it's another uh, person just coming in, having a look around, mm-hmm. we do have to be cybersecurity aware and cybersecurity challengers and actually what I call cyber defenders.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Um that leads me right into my next conversation or my next question why do you think healthcare organizations have such a big gap between cybersecurity best practices and what employees are actually doing why is there still 85% of these attacks have a beginning human error point
1: it, it really is about time it's about people it's about resources cybersecurity has gotten expensive. It does need more investments uh, from the healthcare industry and we do see that happening. It's also, the healthcare industry is a complex industry right? healthcare mm-hmm. is complex we are complex beings biology is complex so we have to learn from each other and unfortunately again historically organizations took on this workload on their own nowadays we're seeing more crowdsourcing we're seeing more anti-phishing scenarios being used in training that are are being leveraged across industries being leveraged uh, through data driven approaches so we have adaptive learning we have psychological learning to really train these behaviors The other thing that we need to do more of is people need to be trained constantly. You said it earlier, cybersecurity is always on. Mm -hmm. Attackers are always on. We, as cybersecurity defenders, have to always be on. We have to continue to evolve. And, And so security awareness training has to be part of the way we work. It has to be, what I say, operationalized. Mm -hmm. It no longer is a a once-a-year exercise where you say, I went through training, I am now HIPAA compliant, I am now security aware. It does not work that way.
0: It does not. Uh, My guest last week, Brian Fritton, said that cybersecurity should be part of your company culture. It should be something that you ingrain in people. Hey, we had these 401k benefits. We have all these other, other benefits. And then we also have the cybersecurity training for work, but then also home because people, if they're practicing at work and practicing at home, they'll only get better.
1: That, that's a great a great statement. And actually, in when I uh, was thinking about this, it's exactly one of the things, the notes that I made is that we have to make security awareness training and always on continuous evolution. We have to develop a cybersecurity aware culture. And actually, that's what AWS has done. We are all cybersecurity aware. It is job zero. We take it very seriously, and particularly in the work that I do. But mm-hmm. I don't walk into an AWS conversation where someone doesn't bring up the security, <laughs> security discussion. Yeah. So. It
0: kind of makes me think, You know, when I was in school, we learned how you learned how to type on a computer and all of these. I wonder now if we should be teaching children on like a basic level in school cybersecurity one-on-one, because the kids today will be on the internet forever. They won't know a world without an internet or a smartphone. So it makes me think is that something that we should take as an industry, the initiative to teach children at the level that they're at about cybersecurity.
1: We do. We have to do more of that. And and you're absolutely right. We have to start early with with children as they're using these social media devices, which we call smartphones or mm-hmm. uh, laptops, whatever. And then we also have to continue to teach it in medical schools, right? Cybersecurity should be part of the way we all work. It's no longer just seeing patients or you know talking to the members of your health plan or running a clinical trial. You have to think, how do I run this clinical trial securely? Mm -hmm. How do I share the electronic medical record with this patient and their lab results securely? But right? How do I enroll my members?
0: And in a way that they they, they want to, in an easy yes. way for them, it, which is it, the ex- in their inbox or in a text message. Uh, and it's about meeting consumers where they are, but also providing yes. them with the information that they need.
1: Yep, absolutely. That experience matters. <laughs> yes,
0: it definitely 100% matters because if a if someone doesn't have a good experience, they'll go find another provider. Yep. Do you have any last minute tips or cybersecurity moments you'd like to share with our listeners today?
1: I think, um, well, more than anything is just keep asking the questions, keep challenging yourself to be a cyber defender, uh, learn good habits. Uh, and the, the big ones are, you know what, learn, learn how to be an anti-phishing advocate Uh, use multi-factor authentication, even if it's SMS. Yes, everybody likes Authenticator apps. I use those myself, but build your own defense. Everyone should have their own personal cybersecurity plan and continue to evolve that.
0: Do you think that, uh, you just said SMS versus Authenticator, do you think one is better than the other or do you just think blanket two-factor authentication is the way to go no matter what?
1: I think a blanket two-factor authentication is the way to go. There is the move away from SMS because it can be hacked to authenticator apps. I use authenticator apps. I use a key. That's what we do at AWS. Again, we, we have three factors at least.
0: I was going to say, but, I bet that you'll have way more than... Oh, you. I have phone
1: codes, everything. <laughs> but um, but we will continue to evolve that and and it does it does help. But yeah, multi-factor authentication, everyone should have that on everything that they do online right away.
0: I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Hector. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Hannah.
0: To learn more about HIPAA compliance or how to configure two-factor authentication, head to palboxcom slash blog for resources, guides, and other interviews. Every episode of HIPAA Critical is available on palbox.com or via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hypocritical. I'm your host, Hannah Trump, signing off.